0: Thank you very much. Good afternoon, everyone. For those of you who know me, you've heard me say this before. I've been preaching for a long time. You've never met me before. I'm an old man, that's pretty obvious. And uh, I've been preaching for more than 60 years, and I'm still honoured and thrilled to stand behind the Bible and open it to reveal its truth as God helps me. Um, I haven't chosen this scripture. Uh, This has been chosen for me. This is where you are in a continuing study that's going on in the Gospel of Matthew. So today we're talking about the piece that's just been read to us that Jesus begins his ministry, his public ministry. We have no recollections. We don't have anything in scripture, it's a fantasy to say that he was in the carpenter's shop making birds and then throwing them in the air and they were flying. I can't find any rationale for all of that. It may be true, it may not be, but I I doubt it. He begins his public life in ministry involved preaching, calling people, teaching the miraculous, including healing, and it proved to be incredibly attractive. That's the summary of the text that we're looking at. But I think it's important that we first uh, look at the setting because anything in the Scriptures that you take in isolation from what is around it, the context, the wider context, you know, it's an old statement, anything that's uh, becomes a pretext that's out of its context. So we mustn't get stuck because you've already done these verses. But Jesus begins when we realize only after he had been baptized in water and in the power of the Spirit. And uh, whatever we, we, we make of our churchmanship, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, I would humbly suggest that we need to start the same way. We need to be baptized and we need to be filled with the Spirit all of us. Now, many, many over the years that, that I led a church in this city and in traveling around the world, people come to you and say, well, I, w- do I need to be baptized? You know, I, I've come from a good Christian family in, a, in an orthodox denomination of churches and I was brought to Jesus as a child and christened would be the phrase that many would use or given, given to Jesus in some form of dedication and and I've even been confirmed or things like that. Why do I need to be baptized? And, and I suggest this, that if we're going to be followers of Jesus, if he was baptized, having conformed to all the religious structures of the time, he was circumcised, he'd been brought to the temple, all of, the, all of it was done, but he still came as a, what we would call a believing person. I mean, he was never in any doubt. And he was perfect and didn't need baptism. He said, suffer, suffer it to be so because he wanted to be an example to those of us who follow. And for this reason, it is my firm belief, and and up in Talbot Street, over a number of years, we baptised people every month. I forget now, for about 13 years, every month. We we made an announcement for the next one, and every month people kept coming to the Lord or coming to be baptised. We baptised Anglican priests. I was telling somebody only yesterday, we, we... We baptised an Anglican priest because nobody else had baptised him because, of course, he wasn't supposed to be baptised. And then he brought half his congregation and he got in the tank having been baptised and baptised his congregation uh, up there in T Street one Tuesday evening. Why is this important? Because something supernatural happens when we're baptised. If we get to the real truth of it, this is not just some ceremonial thing. It is powerful in that it's releasing us. And I think it's important that we help people to confess Jesus as Lord and renounce the devil and all his works. And often supernatural things happen as they begin their journey. And Jesus was also filled with the Spirit. The Spirit came upon him, uh, as the context earlier in chapter 3 says, and talking to some Pentecostal leaders this week who are anxious, the leaders of a denominational group uh, in in a Zoom They're anxious as to why a lot of the so-called charismatic Pentecostal church environment sees so little of the supernatural in the modern context. And one of the conclusions would be that there aren't enough people who are spirit-filled, have never been spirit-filled, and those who have been spirit-filled aren't spirit-filled now. Be being filled, says Ephesians chapter 5. So Jesus starts with a baptism in water and the Spirit, and there's much more we can take from that context. It's important to understand in moving past the immediacy of the baptism, how did that all come about? He came from Galilee and to where John was baptizing by the Jordan, generally assumed to be much lower down, closer to Judea. John the Baptist was God's highest authority on earth at that moment. And Jesus, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, came and submitted himself to God's highest Old Testament picture of authority on earth. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah. So here's Jesus, by whose word the whole creation existed, exists, and continues, submitting himself to human authority to be released with an authority like no one else has ever had. And I suggest for all of us, if we don't learn to be under authority, we won't have very much. Then he was led by the Spirit. That's what the, the book says, into a place of temptation. <laughs> now, there's a, that's, somebody's probably preached a message on that. This is what Henry knew, you know, an interesting Catholic said about His reflections on this idea of solitude and temptation. Solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. Jesus himself entered this furnace, and there he was tempted with the three compulsions of this world. I find this very challenging. I've read it many times. Number one, to be relevant. Just turn these stones into bread. Number two, to be spectacular. Throw yourself down. Do something that people will be talking about. Three, to be powerful. I will give you all these kingdoms, said his enemy. There, Jesus affirmed God as the only source of his identity. And you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Solitude is the place of the great struggle and the great encounter. The struggle against the compulsions of the false self and the encounter with the living God who offers himself as the substance of the new self. And what about this for a sentence? In solitude, in moments of isolation and temptation, as Jesus went through in a 40-year 40-day context. In solitude, I get rid of my scaffolding, is inns reflection on this. No friends to talk with, no telephone calls to make. The task is to preserve, in, to persevere in my solitude, to stay in my cell until all my seductive visitors get tired of pounding on my door and leave me alone. Satan came and faced Jesus, definitively and tested him and jesus comes out in the power he was led by the spirit into the wilderness and he came out of the spirit in the in the out of the desert in the power of the spirit i suggest that if we grasp these thoughts Of the preparative journey that Jesus undertook before his ministry really began, there are some great lessons for us to learn there in our own preparation if we are going to be serious followers of Jesus, yes? And the final one, uh, just in the bit before we begin our text, Jesus left Nazareth and went and lived in Capernaum. Maybe some of you students coming into the city here, others, you... You come into a new context in your life. It's all sorts of challenges. Jesus left the little despised community and went to live by the shores of the Lake of Galilee in Capernaum. Sometimes it requires that we move ourselves to prepare ourselves to be in the place where God wants us to be. So five simple statements then in the few minutes that remain to me. Number one, Jesus began to preach. What did he preach? He didn't preach a a sweet come-by-our type of message. I know you're all feeling bad after COVID. Come here and I'll pour oil on you and make you just feel better. He didn't start there at all. He was quite straight about it. He said, you need to repent. There was no gilding this message. We all need to repent. And having been a Christian since I was 10, I've repented many times. But there was a moment in my life as a boy when I became Conscious by the power of the Holy Spirit that I was a sinner and that Christ had taken my place on the cross and I repented. The, the idea of repentance is to... The, the language in the original is, is about implying change. It's something that comes after, meta after. Uh, and metanomia, the, the, the idea of to perceive something, to perceive something afterwards, to, to turn around, to have a change of mind is where the language is. I was going in this direction, away from God, and I turn around and and I'm, I'm going toward the purpose of God. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And I suggest, and some of the stories I hear, makes it abundantly clear to me that a message of repentance and change lives and thinking is absolutely required in the modern charismatic church. We have many people sitting in churches who've never repented. Else would they. I heard a story this week of a man who's left his wife and uh, he's gone to another little so called church community where the leader is a single person of the opposite sex and they've decided to have a, a friendship, a relationship, or whatever. And they were going to an evangelism conference together. I'm going, they need a smack. Now, I don't mean that rudely. This has got nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus. We need to repent of all this behavior. It's completely out of order. He said, because the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, how do we think about the kingdom of heaven? Well, Jesus in his teaching, as we'll see in a moment, because he, he lays out what some people would call his manifesto in the next chapter, five, six, and seven, And you'll get to that as you progress after your series in the the Gospel of Matthew. And his manifesto is is about a very alternative kingdom. And how how does that look like? Let me illustrate it best like this. I've just finished reading one of uh, Tom Wright's books, Broken Signposts. Anybody read that one? Broken Signposts. He talks talks about seven major issues, uh, societal issues, justice, love, spirituality, beauty, freedom truth and power and he talks about them in their purest sense being signposts that lead us to God but they're all broken because none of them are what they should be outside of the gospel of God and in the final chapter about power which I've just literally just finished the book uh, he illustrates it like this he's quoting a conversation that Jesus has with Pilate the crucial sentence in this he said Is my kingdom isn't the sort that grows in this world. There are two kinds of kingdoms, two kinds of power, because kingdoms kingdoms are about authority and authority is about power. Older translations, such as the King James Version, often give people the wrong idea in rendering the sentences, my kingdom is not of this world. In a culture that positively wants the message of Jesus to have nothing to do with power at all, That sounds as though he was saying my kingdom is all about going to heaven, so please don't bother about anything worldly. But that's not what the sentence says in the original language. Jesus' kingdom is not from this world, but it is certainly for this world. This is the direct application of the line in the Lord's Prayer that says, Thy kingdom come on earth as in heaven. The kingdom comes from heaven but it is designed to take effect on earth. It is designed, in fact, to be the true sort of kingly power, the sort that Psalm 72 was talking about, the sort that is truly a signpost to the reality of God. The truth about the world, however, is that the signpost has been damaged along the way. Let me just read you a couple more paragraphs. If Jesus' kingdom were from this world, his servants would fight as Peter did with the sword in the garden, and then had a bad letdown himself. Pilate had that kind of authority too, the authority to have Jesus killed. This is the normal power, the usual method of kingdom. But Jesus' kind of power works the other way. It works through suffering love, through the one who gives his life for his friends, the one who is lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness, so that all may see him, believe, and be rescued. Rescued from the grip of the other power, the dark power he's talked about earlier. And the ultimate rescue from the ultimate dark power is, of course, resurrection. Then he talks about Lazarus. Why was Lazarus so able when his sister said, when Jesus invited him to move the stone in John 11? Why was Jesus so confident? He said, I, I, I'm not I'm not praying this father prayer to you, Father. He said, I'm praying this prayer so these people understand that this is already a done deal. Modern language. Jesus knew that something had already happened in the tomb that probably meant that Lazarus' body hadn't rotted. If we take the stone away, Martha said he'll stink. There'll be a bad smell. Jesus knew it was a, no, it wasn't a bad smell. It, he knew that resurrection power was already, he was making. A special point before his own death, he was going to raise this man to life knowing that God was going to raise him to life. And a fascinating thing, uh, you know, normally if somebody gets up out of a bed situation like that, why why does the Bible say of Jesus' resurrection that they found their napkin folded by the head of the bed? generally understood in that culture that if soldiers or people in power Folded something away as they left. It meant they'd done what they'd come to do. Hallelujah. So he's talking about a different sort of power. So Lazarus is a testimony of it. And one more sentence uh, on this and I'm finished with it. In the end, then, the Christian message offers a profound reversal of what we think we know about power and indeed what we want from it. When we follow the trail of the broken signposts, we find that they lead to the foot of the cross, where our anxious questions are finally resolved. The kingdoms of this world insist that power must be achieved and sustained by the threat of violence. That is why power has become such a paradox. It seems to begin as a signpost to the truth of the world, but it points in directions that make most of us shudder. So the Taliban are gonna hang people and chop their hands off. It's a corrupted form of power. Rather, God's kingdom reveals something quite different. And that's what Jesus' manifesto in the next chapters that you'll study will will say to us. A power exercised through giving, serving, and loving. A power that transforms the world in a way nobody could imagine at that time in ways that today's anxious secularists do their best to hush up. A power that calls, confronts, transforms, and then equips more and more people from every conceivable background to be, in their turn, powerful witnesses to Jesus. They come to know and love. The gospel message insists that the signpost we saw as broken was indeed a true point to the ultimate reality of God, and the world but as with the other six signs we could only discern their meaning when we approached it in the light of the story of jesus and his death he said he preached a message of repentance for the kingdom of heaven an alternative power structure is at hand jesus is king jesus is lord and in that world where Caesar was king and Caesar was Lord, it was very countercultural. Jesus then calls the disciples quickly to do the rest. He says, Come to me, follow me, and I will make you. He calls all of us to come to him. He says, As we follow him, he will make us what we would never become ourselves. He uses illustrations that they understand. I'll make you fishers of men because the first of the disciples were fishermen. Maxwell in his leadership Bible says, Jesus, he found these disciples in the ordinary day work of life. He handpicked them. He called them to become leaders. He used language that they fully understood. And he took them on a journey and demonstrated to them leadership. Of course, Maxwell in that Bible, it's a leadership Bible, so he's emphasizing leadership. This discipleship is a much stronger issue than just leadership, but it includes a context of leadership. Jesus invites us to follow him. I don't know whether everyone in the room has made that step. It is the best decision you could ever make in your life. I was 10 when I accepted Jesus as savior and Lord, and I knew what it was to be forgiven. And I've never lost that thought of how we can be clean from sin. And in being a follower of Jesus, I could not have lived a more adventurous or exciting or dynamic life. And I commend him to you. If he's calling you, it's a wonderful thing. I asked an old friend of mine, and I'm very aware, I've probably been on my feet. How long have I been going? 25 minutes already, am I? Am I at 25 minutes? Because I'll be finished if I am. Uh, an old friend of mine who's he's, he's about 80 now, he was from New Zealand. He is from New Zealand because he's still alive. Uh, and he, was, he studied he, he had a bit of a religious background and didn't know anything about Jesus. But he wanted to know Jesus. And he didn't know how, what to do with it. He qualified as an accountant in, in New Zealand, and then he came to London. Not to make his fortune, but he said to me, I came to London because I felt compelled i have got to come to London to find out who Jesus was. He got a job with Cooper Lybrand, part of uh, PCW, or whatever they call now. Some of you might work for them. They pay very, very good wages, these boys. Uh, but he wasn't interested in that. From the first week he was here in the city of London, at the end of his working day, he walked down the street, and there was a little Anglican church there. uh, And there was a sign outside, which he did tell me what it said, and I've forgotten, but it was about who Jesus was. And he said, whoa, I've got to find out about this, after his day's work. And he went in. There were mostly old ladies there. Don't be disparaging of old ladies, because I'm an old man. Uh, And that's not nice for people like us. We know what we are. Uh, And these old ladies were praying with a vicar. It was as ordinary a Christian meeting as you'd ever find. There was nothing to write home about. There was no crowds following or no miracles. It It was dead, boring, ordinary. And the vicar, at the end of this little prayer time, said, if anyone would like prayer or would like help, just come forward. My friend went forward. And the vicar prayed for him. I don't even know whether he was an evangelical. The vicar prayed for him. It was like the light came on in a dark room. He was born again. Because if you seek for him, you will find him because he's seeking for you. As Cardinal Hume said a long time ago, our searching for God is only our response to his searching for us transformed in a moment of time Jesus wants everyone in the room to be an excited follower come follow me and I will make you where have I put my glasses I can see what I'm trying to say here to get shut I'm finished John Stott wrote a a book let me read you a sentence anybody read that one the radical disciple Republished again this year in his 100th anniversary. He calls it radical as against the Christian disciple because Christians only use three times in the New Testament and disciples are a bit of a stronger word. They both mean a relationship with Jesus. But a disciple is one who has a relationship of the pupil to the teacher. Christ is our teacher and we are his pupils. Disciples of Jesus took seriously their response to be under discipline. And he quotes here, Jesus saying to some of them, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Don't call yourself a disciple if when he tells you something, you don't do what he says. Jesus then is teaching. Well, you get some of his teaching in the next three chapters. He was sublime. Nobody ever spoke like this man. He was in the synagogues and elsewhere in verse 23, you read all about that. He clearly had an ability to bring the truth to people. And he told many stories. Then he revealed a supernatural ministry. What do we read in verses 23, 4, and 5? He preached good news, healing every disease and sickness. News about him spread all over Syria, and the people brought to him all who were sick, various diseases, all suffering severe pain, demon-possessed epileptics, paralytics. He healed them. Please, God, grant your church a new boldness to lay hands on the sick. Not just in church services, in our lives, when we meet people in the supermarket or our neighbours in the street, which we've done with a neighbour of ours recently. And she wouldn't say she's had a divine healing, but she's certainly a lot better from COVID than she would have been if we hadn't prayed. May we see more of the demonstration of Christ's loving power in our world in our time we live in a secular rational world that does not want to see the supernatural and we need more of a manifestation of the supernatural ministry of christ in our communities yes anybody say i'm into that and jesus attracts a crowd large crowds from galilee and decapolis he's also mentioned syria jerusalem and judea and the region followed him do you understand what this means it, it that, that as a journey, uh, some of those people were at least a week's walk away, at least. Some of them were 10 days away in the southern part of Judea, up in Syria, up, up and, and then out to the coast of the Mediterranean. They came from, from everywhere because this compelling person, Jesus, began his ministry that was to transform the world. How should we react to all that? Well, if you've never repented, today would be a good day. If you've never made an active step to be a disciple, it says at once and immediately. Well, we can't do any better than now. If you've been a careless disciple, make a decision today. I'm going to follow Jesus. I have decided, as I sang a lot of years ago, to follow Jesus. And there'll be no turning back. It's a decision to be made. And if you've never made it, make it now. If you've never been baptized in water, if you've never been filled with the Spirit, it's a good day today to talk to somebody and say, pray with me, help me, get the tank open. I I need to be baptized. Just take an active step to be obedient in following Jesus. Amen.